0: Hello again and welcome to another clinical audit and improvement podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool which is developed in partnership with our users. My name's Dom Conlon and in this episode I'll be learning all about junior doctor audits and how they're supported. Two guests to welcome to the show today. First is Mohamed Aptaliz from Manchester University Hospitals in NHS Trust. Mohamed recently completed his core surgical training with a focus on ENT, He has a particular interest in education, having completed his PG cert, and he's currently undertaking a posting as an academic clinical teacher at the University of Liverpool. Mohammed also gave an excellent talk at the Clinical Audit Conference back in May. And welcome to to David Flanagan from Stockport NHS Foundation Trust, where he is a clinical audit facilitator. David began his audit career by facilitating the AQ programme and then began to manage the Sequin programme before... Being moved to the allocation and reviewing process for NICE guidance, he's also heavily involved in BT work and sits on the Trust Thrombosis Committee, where he was integral to a successful application for exemplar status. Mohamed, mm-hmm. so let's start with you because I know from your comments during the conference that uh, you're an absolute advocate of uh, of junior doctor audits, and you were, it was it was wonderful to see and to hear you talk about them, especially in the kind of Q&A afterwards, I wonder if you could just outline um, what a junior doctor, doctor audit actually is i may mean, please.
1: Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Don, for having me around, um, having me on. Um, absolute pleasure to join you guys and talk about a topic which, until a couple of years ago, was definitely not a topic that I ever thought myself to be interested in. But now it has become something that I'm, I very much get more passionate about than I used to be. <laughs> um, the, the, the requirement of audit amongst junior doctors very much varies depending on what stage you are in in your career. Um, and it very much depends on which track you're going down in terms of what specialties you want to do. But if I was to summarize it very quickly, I would say... Initially, I think they try to start very, very, very gently with, for instance, the foundation doctors with their exposure to audit. So in foundation year FY1, they, they just need to show evidence of some sort of participation in some sort of QI audit. And then F2, they, they need to then show that they've completed a project on QI audit, but there's no uh, strict specification as to what their participation is in completion, whether they're leading it or if they're just running it. And it's only when you got into get into training really that the audit requirements become a bit more strict. So, for instance, for, core, for core surgical training, which I went through recently, you need one completed audit per year, and the idea is to ideally have it as a closed loop. But that's not a not is not a um, mandatory you know um, feature of it. And then if you go into, into medicine to do the internal medicine training, they've actually moved a little bit away from audits and their requirements are actually towards QI projects or quality improvements. So you need to have um, evidence of participation or completion of QI products depending on which year you're in. So I would say that really when audits really start to come into their own is when people start applying for registrar training. I think that's really when people start needing audits. Uh, so, for instance, to do an ENT registrar, to get maximum points, you need to do, ten, you need to do eight audits um, to get maximum points to do to, to be an ENT registrar. And this changes depending on the specialty. But probably ENT is probably one of the more stricter ones, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Uh, David, have you anything to, to jump in here? What's it from your perspective? How do you how do you fit into this?
2: Uh, well, thanks for that, man. Thanks, Don, for having me on as well. Uh, great opportunity. Uh, thanks for that man but that, that was really interesting to me because that, that was far more detail than I've ever heard on the actual requirements <laughs> um, so for, from our perspective what we get told is that we need to do an audit to pass our revalidation and that's about it or to move up mm. um, so that that was far more detail than I've ever heard yeah and um, yeah we, we, we were fairly involved with um, junior doctor clinical audits um, we used to go out and train um, at the junior doctor induction but we've been very much scaled back within the last year as to what kind of support we're offering now. So it's very much now we have a trust priority program, and, and that's our involvement. We don't get involved in anything else other than those trust priorities, which are like your national audits and your, your risks, your serious incidents, things like that. So be interested to know what Mohammed thinks of that scaled back um, support from the audit department. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Is this uh, is this something you, you think is a good idea, Mohammed?
2: Um, well, actually, I was going to ask
1: a follow-up question to yeah. that. Actually, David, if that's all right. Um, so, when you said that scaled back in terms of only the 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 sort of the, the high priority um, trust um, audits. So, if let's say um, one of the, the juniors wanted to do an audit, maybe for their portfolio or for their applications, etc. Would it be that the audit would still get approved, but the support would be limited or even approval would be scaled back?
2: No, no. So so we very much encourage them to put them on the system still on our map. Um, mm-hmm. We need that evidence. Uh, it is with regards to the actual support that the clinical audit department getting involved. So we wouldn't offer any kind of analysis. In fact, what we would do, we would just put it straight through. We wouldn't even scrutinise the registration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what okay. we're trying to do there is very much pass the responsibility to make sure that the, the details and the, the structure of that project is correct onto the audit leads. Mm-hmm. There's that second approval step, and that, that's very much I think they're just putting everything through.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my my initial my initial thoughts for that is is, is I think on the one hand it, it makes ter- it makes complete sense because the number of audits that are being pushed through to the audit departments must be astronomical, and trying to try and support all of those, it's it's going to be a huge, huge feat. I can only imagine. So I think only, only yourself will be able to really elaborate on that. Um, I think my own personal experience with audit has been that uh, the audit department has been there very much supportive in terms of guidance, in terms of what to do. Um, but personally, I've had to do a lot of my own um, analysis of data. And I think that's largely because I think... Partly from personal experience, just wanting to know how to do the analysis on the one hand, and the other hand, it's I think, especially in my earlier years, not actually knowing that that was a service that was off, that was offered. Because often I think the audits that we do are very small scale compared to the trust audits, which are very much much
2: larger. Uh, might need a bit a lot more assistance. Yeah. So so we did offer analysis that that was one of the services we did offer. We kind of scaled that back um, with the introduction of AMAC, To be honest. Because we're performers in Amat, and then getting it in an Excel spreadsheet, it, we were really not required as much. So the, the emphasis was back on the juniors really to do their own analysis once we got Amat in place.
1: Mm. So in terms of training, what do you do? You guys still offer training sessions, um, and do you guys still offer help in terms of? Uh, obtaining, like, clinical
2: records and things like that? Yeah, so so we we offer training. We, we've always offered training. Um, so we did do a session in Pinewood, so that, that's our education centre, and that was quarterly, uh, but the attendance was horrendous, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, we advertised that as aggressively as you could. We had screensavers, posters, all user emails, everything, and I, I can't remember a session with more than four or five people there. That's um, interesting. So I mean, that we, was-
0: Pick up yeah, on that so in, a, in a bit. No, no. Carry on. Tell tell me more about the training, though. What 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 would you have done?
2: So we, yeah, in, in the past we we offered a full. Uh, it's very very in depth clinical audit training. Everything from the cycle through to the software. Very very in depth. I think it was about an hour and a half. The package, but just the requirement didn't seem to be there. As I say, we advertised that as much as you possibly can, and uh, the response was was never particularly good. Um, we, we do offer we offer one to one trading for doctors of any level. Um, yeah, but again, that they're, they're not taken up very regularly. I don't know if it's something we could be doing better to get the message out there, but well, we, we, we don't seem to get the response.
0: That's really interesting. I was going to ask it later on actually, but I'll do it now about the attitude for, for audits. I read um, uh, a a poll recently um, run by Cask and uh, they when they were running um, a competition for for junior doctor audits and the the outstanding uh, comment about it was the word boring and so it's this (laughs) kind of thing is this but that's not what I get that's certainly not what came across in the conference with you man you absolutely thrived on on create and doing your uh, the Bell's palsy wasn't it um audit so could you both talk a little bit more about that attitude towards them. I'll
2: let, I'll let go first. <laughs> okay, it, it's, it's difficult. We we do um, events, um, and the feedback is always audit is not sexy, and there's nothing we can do about that. And that's the that's the quandary, isn't it? I, I don't know until you see a talk like Mohammed's. It, it's very difficult to get across that audit can be exciting. Um, yeah, but quality improvement is more exciting, apparently. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I actually wanted to talk very quickly about quality improvement. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question in a second. Yeah, Tom, yeah. But regarding the quality improvement, I have noticed a shift towards quality improvement in certain areas. For instance, you can see in for the medics for the IMT training, their requirements for clin- quality improvement rather than audit. And if you, when I was doing my foundation program a few years ago, our requirement. For, for the region that I was in at the time for my foundation year, which was Yorkshire and Humber deanery, they were emphasising quality improvement rather than audit. And I think the, the reason behind this is because, this is my own personal interpretation of it, is because when you go into quality improvement, your your, your perspective and the, the, the perspective you're coming from is, what is something I can make better? And how can I prove that I've made it better? So there's a lot more independent um, and sort of, uh, how do I say, um, creative thoughts involved in how can I get around this problem? It's a bit more exciting. Whereas we've been hammered into this idea that audit is, here's a standard, have you met the standard? If you've not, why not? Okay, So it's coming from measuring the problem rather than finding a solution. Um, And I think this change in perspective for me was the way that I, how I actually got more involved in audit was making my mindset more like when it was with quality improvement where I'm auditing something that I want to make an improvement on anyway, Mm. but I want to see first are we hitting the standards and doesn't need an improvement to start with. So for instance, with the, with the, with the Bell's palsy that I did, Bell's palsy audit, it was, are we actually treating it well? So is my intervention even worth it? And then we, we made some standards, see how, that it was definitely not met, nowhere near being met. So we said, okay, fine, fantastic. Now we can actually hit it with an intervention that we were kind of already thinking about before. So we came from a different perspective. We came from the perspective of what's an intervention that we want to do, but let's first justify that we need to do it. Um, I think the thing that gets more junior doctors involved in audit and the way that you can get them involved in audit, or at least the way that I got involved in audit more enthusiastically was, it was a change in perspective. There's something that I met and mentioned in the conference. I think you might be able to remember that yeah, yeah. was um, for the first few years of being a junior doctor, we're always told by our peers. So our, our senior colleagues and our consultants that audit is something you just need to get done. It just needs it's to tick box, get it done, get it out of the way, move to the next thing. For us, the juicy things, the clinical work, the research work, all that stuff is the juicy stuff. Okay. And audit was said, you know, you just need to get it done. And often we'd be, we'd be asked to do audits in topics that we're not actually interested in in the first place. It's just our boss is interested. He wants to make sure that the department's doing well in X, Y, and Z. And so the result is you're not enthusiastic about the topic and you might, you might not even know much about the topic. So you're doing an audit in something that it's not even your interest area and you, you, you don't really know how to, how, to, how to assess the data and how to look at the data. And often when you're a junior doctor as well, you're often placements for four to six months at a time you're not really invested in the department. You're not invested in the specialty even because you're moving from specialty to specialty. So for you, it's just and their performance. I've already got loads of my plate, loads of clinical work to do. Let me just get this audit done so I can tick it off. The reason it changed for me was because firstly, I was doing it a topic I was interested in. So I was starting to become more interested in ENT. And I said, okay, I'm really interested in Bell's palsy because I've seen loads of Bell's palsy in my clinic, in clinics. And then the other thing was that I had a registrar, um, she was, um, I, I hope she, she won't mind me mentioning her name, uh, doctor, Dr. Herman. She was very, very enthusiastic and she was very, very encouraging. She was really pushing me to do this audit, being like, yeah, this is a great idea. We can make this intervention. We can look at this and we can look at this. So even from the start, the quality of the audit that we created was a high quality. Well, higher quality. Well, I, I can't say high because I can't judge I my think, quality of an audit. I think we're, like, higher, I think we're like. than,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> higher than our, my previous audits that I've done. And because we wanted to do higher quality as well, because it's something we wanted to do. And our consultant was very enthusiastic. He was very encouraging. He wanted me to present it in different conferences. He wanted me to, to um, write it up and make it to a very high quality. And it's I think it's all these things that come together that make you more in, in, in involved in audit. And I know I'm, I'm babbling a yeah. little bit, but but generally I feel like it's a, it's it's a culture change that needs doing, and it's a perspective change that needs doing. It's about selling audit as a way that you can really learn about your topic of interest and you can present it and get, um, gain, um, recognition for your work. If you do it at a regional or a national conference and being, you know, being, uh, completely utilitarian, you could say, oh, you need it to get the specialty you want. You know, if you want to get into a specialty, you need to do audits and you need to show improvement with the audits. And I think selling it to a person to do audits, you really have to see what their priorities are and really tailor it to them. Because um, what the, what 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 encouraged me to do audit in a more enthusiastic way won't work for everyone else potentially. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'll 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 stop no, there no. and I'll elaborate on that, things going forward. That's
0: fantastic, <laughs> that's fantastic Mohammed. The and we, something we've heard on on previous podcasts about the need to change and and. People recognizing that it is changing the whole culture around audit, um, and great kind of clinical audit specialists uh, are coming on to talk to me about how they're doing that, about the communication. You're, you mentioned David about how, how you, you you push out the information and things like that. So so that that's a really interesting in point there. I wonder if you want to pick up on anything that Mohammed said there, David.
2: Yeah, yeah, lo- loads of stuff. Thanks thanks for that information. Um, <laughs> going back to the quality improvement versus the audit, I mean, audit is a quality improvement tool, isn't it? But I understand what you're saying. Um, just identifying whether we have an issue, that's not the real exciting bit. The exciting bit is then the QI project you put in place once you know there is an issue. Um, the, the problem, like Mohammed mentioned, is staff are generally moved on. By the time that second cycle is ready to go, they're in another specialty and we, we don't often get those loops closed. Um, it's interesting you said as well, um, I, I'll, I'll just put you um, in the um, in the role of a junior doctor now at Stockport, And you came to me and said, I, I want to audit um, Bell's pause it." I would say to you, um, sorry, that's not really a trust priority now. We're going to ask you to look at consent, say, or record keeping. Mm hmm. So your excellent project might not have got off the ground <laughs> in our current yeah. structure, which is something we have to think about really as a trust, to be honest. I mean, you could still do that project if your specialty is on track with all your priority stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the first instance, we we would send you back to your audit lead.
1: Yeah, no, I think, and I think um, it's almost a problem that's unavoidable because Audits need to be done, yeah. and standards need to be assessed. At the end of the day, um, but it's like you said. I think it's it's hard to develop enthusiasm for um, uh, yeah. for audits that a we haven't come up with. But even if we haven't come up with, it's sort of more kind of like the running of the trust um, and and being devil's advocate as well. A lot of junior doctors will say, "Well, that's not my." Not my responsibility. That's not my. That's not my job role. My job role is to provide clinical work, and if I'm doing an audit it's because I want to do an audit, because um, they would say, "Oh, it's not not in my job description." Uh, whether it's in their contract or not, I've actually not looked at my contract. to See, if it, <laughs> it says I have to do audit, um, but that's what some. That's what. That's an argument someone could make, um, and getting around that is a very difficult one. I, I, I can't really without saying, "Okay, let's massively increase the staffing so that you can have dedicated people to do this," which of course is. Uh, a pipe dream
2: <laughs> um i'm not sure what the solution to that is yeah i mean so some some of the prior challenges they are really interested as well there's a lot of national audits on there so they're not all you record keeping and what have you but but yeah. but the the juniors involved are not going to have the same passion are yeah. they? because they didn't come up with the subject it's not there.
0: so how do passion. how do junior doctors then go about deciding what to do Mohammed, you tell me about how, from your perspective, how it how it works, and then and then David might follow up with from his.
1: Well, from my perspective, it really much depends on the persons where the persons starting from in the beginning. Um, from a lot of my colleagues, my junior colleagues who do, get involved in audit, the first step of the audit process is they will go to their consultant and be like, "I need an audit. <laughs> Please, can you tell me a good idea for an audit or an audit needs doing?" Right. Hopefully, they hope for a very easy audit that can get done in within couple of weeks and then they can say fantastic I've done my audit. If someone actually wants to do an audit then it becomes a bit more tricky. The person has to have some sort of engagement with the subject and then they have to then it ends up being a bit of a discussion between themselves, their registrar, their consultant about what audits firstly have not been done because of course you don't want to be repeating an audit and also whether their idea is actually feasible. Um, So this Bell's palsy audit that was actually brought to me was actually suggested to me by my registrar at the time Um, but it was discussed with me we discussed with how we were going to do it what the steps were going to be and it made me more more interested Um, but in all honesty it's very hard to come up with an audit topic really that's interesting Um, because most people it's like we said they just want to do a tick box and they just or they just go on the guidance of their their seniors can can i ask did did you know your audit
2: lead was at the time in terms of my consultant? Yeah. Did you know that you asked a specific audit? I just wondered whether you knew who it was and whether you spoke to them.
0: Um,
2: I
1: spoke. To, so <laughs> I was pushed in the direction of one of the ENT consultants who was the lead for that project. But whether it's the audit lead for the department, I would not be able to tell you. <laughs> I know who my current audit lead is um, at my current trust uh, but that's because, as well, my audit lead, my current trust, is very enthusiastic and she's very proactive in terms of every so often being like, "Okay, audit, 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 audit. Everyone needs to get some audit done. Tell me what, where you are on your audit. What's the next step?" And she follows up,
2: up on a very regular basis in terms of making sure we close the loop. So the, the, the reason I asked that is because I think it was 2019, it possibly. Had, I don't know what um, what year your audit was, but in 2019 we, we went out and we trained every audit lead in the trust. And I just wondered that they were then supposed to uh, repeat that trade into potential juniors who were looking at audits. So I just wondered whether you had any of that interaction with it. Mr. Milan Ruddick it was at the time.
1: Oh, Mr. Ruddick. Yeah, so he was actually the, the he was the lead for my, my project as well. Right. Um, I would say with the exception of the induction when I came to Stockport, I didn't receive any formal... Um, audit training during my core surgical training. I only really received formal audit training during my time as a foundation doctor. And that was because I think we had a full day of QI and audit training where we went to, an, we all as a region, we all went to one place. It was very engaging, very interactive. And I think that their, their emphasis wasn't saying here's how you do audit. They were saying, oh, let's think of some ideas of what potential audit projects can be and maybe discuss it in a group and how you could potentially audit this topic and how you would then, what you intervention would you would do. So the aim was that at the end of that day, everyone had in their head an audit project they were going to do that was planned with a potential intervention, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that was really, really helpful for me going forward. Did you say you did receive some training at induction? We had... I think some, we had definitely, the audit department came and gave us a lot of introduction in terms of what support was available, um, how to get contact with them, and how to arrange further training, I think, if we needed. Um, so we knew, I think, from the get-go that the audit department was there and they were available. Yeah. To we,
2: we've been taken off now. We're definitely not doing that now.
0: Oh. So yeah, yeah it sounds shame. like a shame, doesn't it? And, <laughs> and is this down to staffing issues, David?
2: I, I don't. I think we were just told they were too busy. To,
0: just priorities and yeah, 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 yeah. just it
2: wasn't like a priority. Yeah, is that, yeah,
0: and and this is the thing, isn't it? There's so much kind of pressure on all aspects of the NHS that it is prioritisation is is key at everything, every stage. So I'm interested in the difference in the the audit and the, the clinical audit and the QI, and and like you, Mohammed, you sort of said earlier on that the QI was the was the cool bit, the, the bit that was most exciting. So would it be, is QI training given as part of it? So
2: we, we don't specifically uh, offer any training on QIs because there's a separate department in the trust. Right. So there is a QI department, which is completely separate from the audit department. Um, they, they take on massive trust-wide projects. They don't really look at the smaller things. I think they've only got about seven or eight projects running at any one time. But no, we, we don't offer QI training and QI methodology at audit training now.
0: And how far far back does this go, uh, Mohammed? Is it something you do as a student as well, or you are you dropped into it?
1: Um, I think uh, (laughs) it's very variable. Again, I think depending on where where one studies and where what one experiences is. Are I personally did zero audits as my time as a student, but I do know some of my uh, student colleagues did do some audits during university. And their but theirs wasn't because it was a requirement of them. It was more because they were very, very proactive because they wanted audits for their specialty that they wanted to eventually go into. So they wanted to get a bit of a head start. We did get training. We got formal training on audit at university quite quite a lot in terms of especially telling us what the what classifies an audit and what are the minimum requirements for an audit and the difference between audit and QI. But again, I think that's very variable depending on where you on one, where 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 one has gone.
0: So you mentioned about, uh, David mentioned earlier about uh, the audits after a doctor moves on, uh, leaving them kind of hanging perhaps and so on. What, could you elaborate a bit more on that for me? What happens then? What do you do with them?
1: This is a very interesting point, actually. It's a really interesting, and it's a, it's a huge problem. Um, <laughs> generally, um, when someone leaves the trust, they almost often, the, 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 the mindset that some people have, and I am my, myself on the occasion have had is, well, I'm done, that's it, on to the next thing. Um, because there's the assumption that, well, I've done one cycle, um, they can get someone else to do the other cycle. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've done my part, I've done my half cycle, that's it, it's up to the department to decide if it needs to be, cycle, it needs to be run again or not. And in a, in a way, I can kind of appreciate that because as soon as you go to a new department, for the first month, you'll get your back, you're you finding your feet and you're trying to work out what's going on and how to do it, do the work. And then the other thing is that once you're in that department, then you then have new pressures placed upon you and new expectations placed upon you. And this is more so when you go to a new hospital because you have a new boss and the new boss has priorities in terms of research and audit that wants you to do it done. And so to try to then look to the past and do that audit... Um, is tricky. You have to be really invested in the audit, I think, to come back and do it. So I actually did the second cycle of my Bell's palsy audit after I had left oh. Tame, uh, Stockport and I had moved to Tameside. Um, so I, I had to I came back after hours and just got, and and did my audit on on a day that was half day or something like that. But you're not gonna. It, it's going to be very hard to expect yeah. that I think from someone who in the first place didn't want to do the audit.
0: Good point. Good point. David, anything to throw in there?
2: Yeah. So, um, so if the first cycle is complete and the doctor moves on, I mean, it, it's not ideal, but it's, it's not the end of the world. I think the issue is when they move on before the first cycle's complete. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the biggest issue we face. That happens more, more often than you'd think. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, if, for the second cycle, we we just uh, we send it back to the audit leader. And say, please, can you find someone else to right. do this? Yeah, yeah. it's obviously important.
1: Yeah, I must admit there have been times where I've gone into a department and then there's an audit that's almost done. There's like the last few steps and the audit leader would come to me and be like, can you just make this into a presentation and please present it at the local audit meeting for the department just so we can tick it off. And you're like, all right, fine. That sounds good, doesn't it?
0: You get to claim the credit. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. (laughs)
1: <laughs> sort of sort of you still have to say that you know i didn't collect nah. the data i didn't do the analysis i just presented <laughs> so. <laughs> so you almost get the work without getting the yeah, full yeah. glory which is a bit of a, a pain
0: so i think uh we're kind of uh coming up to to our time um so i'd like to ask you both what advice you've got for anybody embarking on a clinical audit project or a quality improvement project whichever you want what advice to to engage with them to 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 get it to, to maximize the benefits.
2: It's quite a difficult one. Um, Be passionate about it. Um, Look to audit something you are passionate about. Plan it. Definitely the planning. Uh, Don't just jump in. Yeah. And uh, just consult your clinical and audit leads as well. They're they're the ones who've been doing it. They've got the expertise and the clinical audit department is still here to help. I think I would, I would echo a lot of what David said. Uh, It's
1: very much based on enthusiasm, but well, I would say my advice, actually, my first piece of advice would go to the consultants and, clinical and audit leads out there, <laughs> which would be really try to, try to bring enthusiasm into your juniors because their first experiences with audits will affect the rest of their career with audits. If they start off on the right foot, they will continue on the right foot. But if you sell audits as something that they need to just do and it's something that in a topic that they're not interested in you effectively ignited a a potential flame there. Um, and you've killed their passion, potential passion for audit. And, um, so I would say, firstly, have a chat with your juniors, really try to sell the audit topic and teach them about the topic itself. So they know about it and try to sell it to them that it's in their interests. Saying that, you know, we'll try to get the enthusiasm enthusiasm saying things such as, let's try get it in a national conference. Let's get it in a regional conference. Let's try to present this. Let's try to make a poster out of this. Let's really try to make something out of this that you will enjoy and you will get something out of it. So really try to sell it as it's in their interests. Um and if you're going to do an audit, if you're going to make that your juniors do an audit, really do support them. Uh, I've, I've spoken to so many foundation doctors and also um, registrars and SHOs that have come from abroad who have minimal experience with audit. And they don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to collect an audit. They don't know things about standards. They feel out of their depths. And... They then their just enthusiasm gets extinguished because they think, oh, well, this is something I just, I just don't even know where to start and what to do. And you just need someone to sit down with them for half an hour and really go through the order, go through the plan, go through the steps and sell it. as something that, this is easy to do. It's something that you can do yourself, but it's about that support, that top-down support, I think. And then my advice for the juniors who are very much starting off is if you've had bad experiences, like I have as well myself, please don't yeah. let that <laughs> Don't let that influence the, your your future experiences and there is there is hope out there you just need to you just need to try and, and look for fantastic.
0: it fantastic <laughs> and it comes from all levels doesn't it like you said at the beginning getting um, but you know you, you, your consultant if they're enthusiastic and everybody's got to be enthusiastic about this that it isn't just a tick box kind of exercise that it has seeing the lasting effects that it has on people as well, and and that must must affect things as well.
2: Yeah. I, I'm sure if it comes from the consultant, it carries much more weight than it would coming from an audit department if they're really enthusiastic. And they're selling the fact that, you know, it, may, it makes a massive difference in the end day to patient safety.
0: Fantastic. Right. Our time's once again run out, and I must release my guests back to their day jobs. So if any listeners out there would like to join me on a future episode, then just email podcast at amat.co.uk it's a platform this is genuinely a platform for absolutely anybody involved in clinical audit to come and talk about the things that interest you and as ever please subscribe and share wherever you can and thanks for listening